that most of us, if not all of us, already completely understand. But yet it's something that as we think about being holy, we have to really understand what it was like back in the day. We're talking about back in the day when Jesus was walking on the earth. We see that this passage that we looked at in Acts the fifth chapter, of this statement that is made about the apostles and the believers, is right after something amazing happens in chapter 5. Where Ananias and Sapphira are struck down because they lied to God. And you'll remember there at the beginning of chapter 5, who pointed out that they had lied to God? It was the apostles. They knew that type of information. And so you would see in verse 11 that fear fell on the disciples. And all of these types of things is like, whoa. So let's put ourselves there for just a split second. One of us drops dead in here. And someone says, the reason why you're going to drop dead is because you lied to the Holy Spirit. Boom. Yeah, right? We're a little scared. Guess what we're not going to do? We're not going to come with some fake pretense. We're going to keep ourselves out of those doors because we don't want to come anywhere close to somebody who can do that, right? And that is exactly what Acts chapter 5 is telling us. You would see that there in verse 12, that the hands of the apostles, they did many signs and wonders. They weren't just striking people dead. But they did many signs and wonders. And they were doing them among the people. And they were all together. And so imagine there for a second, you got the group of them. And there's 12 of them now, right? The one Judas has died, but they have replaced him. And they're all there together. And the believers are with them as well. But notice the reaction of apparently the people in verse 13. None of the rest dared join them or associate with them. And there's a lot of debate about who that is. What I think is being said there is that the people who were not believers, they didn't come anywhere close to the apostles and the other Christians because they were afraid of them. And that in one sense is holy, isn't it? When you can't come anywhere near someone because of fear, or because of some separation that is there. And what we see is that the apostles truly were holy men, right? And as a group of them, we got to ask ourselves the question, what made the apostles holy? Because it's the truth that the apostles were set apart from everyone else. And we're going to see tonight things of which you know but things in which we can't forget about the importance of the apostles of Jesus Christ. So as we begin tonight, we're going to look at the very beginning. I want you to go to Mark the third chapter. That's where we're going to begin this evening. And we've talked a good bit in this quarter, I guess, about a call, right? We've been called to come up the mountain. You know what's very interesting about these men who are called the twelve apostles or the twelve? They were literally called up the mountain. And that's what we have to begin. Notice down in verse 7. The verse 7 says, Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples. And a great multitude from Galilee followed. 
says they were from all over these places. And so what you have is you have a huge crowd down by the sea. And the evening comes, and in verse 13, he went up on the mountain. Jesus, that is. And notice what Jesus did. He summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. Remember we saw a few weeks back as we were studying the priesthood a little bit, that God called Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders up the mountain and separated them from the people. Jesus calls these 12 up the mountain to himself. And why did he do that? Notice, he chose them to be with him. Verse 14. And he appointed 12 so that they would be with him. And I want you just to stop there and think about that. What's it mean to be with Jesus? He chooses you to be with him. It means you get to be in his entourage. You get to roll with him wherever he goes. You're with him. And guess what? You're not following him like the rest of the crowds are following him. He's saying to you, come on, let's go. It's time to get in the boat and go across the water. Or hey, go get them some food. You're his inner circle. And guess what? The people do that. They knew the difference between them as followers... And these men who were called to stand and sit and do everything with Jesus. There's a distinction that is made. And the distinction that we see, they get the task. Not only are they going to be with him, but notice the rest of verse 14. That he would send them out to preach. Their job would be, hey, you hang out with me, but yet you're going to do the same thing I did. You're going to go preach. And then we would see a lot of other things. I want you to turn to the Gospel of John for a second. And I want you to see something that is interesting about Jesus choosing them. Go to John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, you might remember the statement that is made, I am the vine and you are the branches. And we need to remember that in that particular context, Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is the Last Supper. John 13 through John 18, really, but 17, is the last supper or in the garden. And he's just got those disciples there with him. And he says, I'm the vine, you're the branch. And I want you to notice something that he says to them down in verse 16. Now we know verse 12. I love you, love one another just as I have loved you. We love that verse. But I want you to notice verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Let this sink in for a second. Jesus handpicked them. And notice why Jesus said he handpicked them, verse 16. I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit, and your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. This whole point of them being called to preach was that they were to bear fruit. They were to bring people to the branch, through the vine. And that their fruit would remain. They wouldn't be plucked off. They wouldn't chop it down. But they would yield fruit as well. 
Jesus said, I chose you so that you would go out and you would do that. What does that tell you if you're chosen for that job? Especially, especially when you've got multitudes and thousands of people, and I'm one of twelve who's chosen. So maybe you, you can go back to your days in school. I was like chosen for like two things. One of the things I was chosen for was this, what they call youth leadership. And they announced it in chapel one morning, and they said, and our youth leadership representatives are West Gossip. Well, they said, it is West Gossip. I said, do what? I didn't know what in the world that was. I didn't apply for it. I didn't do anything. But I was told, I'm in that. So I go to the office, I said, so what is this? And they say, there will be, depending on the size of the school, there will be no more than three students from each school that are chosen to go and to have these things every single month. You go to these meetings, you try to work out problems, blah, 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 you try to learn about leadership. Alright? I didn't pick that. I was chosen for that. Out of the number of kids that were in my school, those other kids at their schools, they were chosen for that. There was a reason. Because the teacher saw something in us. For whatever case that may be. It wasn't a, you took it on yourself. And that was the idea of an apostle. They didn't take the job on themselves. They were hand-picked, hand-chosen, because they were going to bring fruit into the world. That makes you feel good. Because someone has confidence. And you go out and you do that. But you know what else they got to do? They got to do some other cool things. Go to Matthew 10. As Matthew records this calling up on the mountain where he names these twelve, notice the cool thing they get, and you would even see this in Mark's account. But here's where they get that ability to perform their miracles. So verse 1, Jesus summoned his twelve disciples. And he gave them authority over unclean spirits. And they cast them out. And they heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Does everyone get to perform miracles? That separates you, doesn't it? Isn't that what they were doing there in Acts 5? They were bringing them just to hope that the shadow passed by. And that the handkerchief. We're talking about nobody else is doing this. Except for who? Jesus. And can any man do more signs than this guy? They said, is the Christ going to do more signs than this? And now you get to do that. Imagine that for a second. First person comes to you and they're sick. And you lay your hands on them and you say, in the name of Jesus, and they get up and they walk. Or they get up and they get to work like nothing ever happened. Can you imagine that rush? In fact, that's what they do once they're sent out and they come back. And they come back and they're so excited about the demons obeying them. And Jesus said, you should really rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's awesome. And the other disciples, they didn't get that. So guess what they didn't do? They didn't assume that position. 
to later. And you'd have Paul writing about these false apostles, these people who were trying to be apostles, but guess what? They didn't have the same authority that the real apostles were given. So you say, what's the difference between a disciple and an apostle, right? Get basic. Disciple is a follower, a learner who follows. An apostle is one who is sent on that commission. These people were chosen to go, and they got to go up the mountain. Now, as we carry forth here, they not only were chosen, but because they were chosen, we have to see that they received special attention. And more so than just the regular multitudes and the regular crowds, they received extra attention, special attention in their teaching. And there are many instances where you see this. Why don't you go to Mark's Gospel? In Mark, the fourth chapter, remember Jesus taught in a lot of parables to kind of weed out those who were truly going to follow and those who were just along for the loaves and the fishes and the miracles, right? Notice the interesting thing that is said in Mark's Gospel, beginning in verse 33, that with many such parables, he was speaking the words of them so far as they were able to hear. And here is verse 34. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but, and that's the crowd, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Again, put yourself there. Everybody else in the crowd has no idea what in the world he's talking about. But he's telling you behind closed doors. We're walking along the way as they're asking him, what does this mean? He explained it to them. How much easier would life be if you didn't have to go through and figure out the problems? But it was explained clearly to you and thoroughly to you. Now here's the catch did the apostles always understand what it said? Absolutely not. They weren't able yet. But he was taking the time to give them that teaching. Why? Because they wanted to go out and preach. They had to understand it. And he gave them that special attention in their teaching. What are some of the other things that he gives them? And, and you go back to Matthew's account. We'll go to Matthew for a little bit. In chapter 16, as he's walking along the way, He's asking his disciples, he says, who do men say that I am? And some, they say, he said, Elijah. Some say, another prophet, right? And there's all these different, some say the Christ. Then Jesus turns it to them. He says, well, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And guess what Jesus did? He didn't refute that at all. He said, verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon. The man flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father. Now notice verse 20. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Everyone else is wondering, is he the Messiah? And he told his disciples, I am. But don't you tell anybody. So in essence, guess what the disciples also had to do? Had to be able to be trusted, to keep things secret. And we'll notice that in chapter 17 in the next series of lessons. They had to keep it quiet. I don't know about you, that's hard to do sometimes. 
Especially when everybody is wondering, is this the Christ? And you can point and say, yeah, he is. But he says, no, don't say anything. Only those twelve knew that. Notice something else that is very interesting that he gives them. And then it begins here in chapter 16, verse 21, that he tells them that they're going to have that he's going to have to suffer. They are given this privy information that the Christ will suffer. So 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Not everybody's getting that teaching. People don't get that teaching really, except for encrypting language in the last week or so. But Jesus is teaching his disciples, and we'll see it again. We'd see it again in chapter 17. He was telling them he was going to be delivered over by the people. Now again, how would that make you feel if you're the apostles? This guy that I'm with, and I'm following around, that has given me these miracles, that I don't completely understand, is now telling me that he's going to die. And he's going to be killed, and I know that he's the Christ. I bet most of us would act just like Peter. As Peter responds in the following verse 22, he took him aside and said, God forbid. That'll never happen. We think, oh, not happening. There's no way. Because we just couldn't see this. His disciples were given that private, that privy information. And then once that actually takes place, right, they remember the word that he said. When he's right, like, oh, that's what he meant. Destroy this temple and in three days I'll build it. Oh, that makes sense. Because guess what he did after he was raised and only they got? Look in Luke, the 24th chapter. They get the specialty of Jesus going through and explaining the scriptures to he tells them everything, verse 44. These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. Now notice verse 45. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he went on, blah, 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 not blah, 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 but you know, uh, to finish out what he said there. The emphasis is that he showed them. It was like their eyes were open. To things they had been reading for years and years, but now they see it. It is now, as we would use the term, it's now brought to light. It's no longer hidden. It is now obvious to them. And then that is where they are to go. Verse 46 there, and sin to go. Preach repentance, verse 47 beginning first in Jerusalem. But here's the other part of the special attention they got. Yeah, they got all this special teaching to which you and I are very familiar with now. But because they got all this extra attention and they got all of these extra powers, guess what they also got extra of? Criticism. Because they often demonstrated, as he would say, oh, you of little faith. They saw it. They had been a part of it. So when they're in the sea and they're afraid, they say, Master, don't you care that we're perishing? Oh, you of little 
the demon that is in the young epileptic boy who's often cast into the fire and into the water. Oh, you of little faith. So much more was expected of them. They were being explained. They were having it all. And yet Jesus, probably in front of other people, would say, don't you understand? Notice that in Matthew, the 16th chapter, they're still pretty close. That's in that store, that epileptic. Where they can't cast the demon out. And Jesus and three of the apostles, they come down from the mountain. And there's an argument that has broken off between the disciples and this father. And so we brought our, I brought my son to you, and your disciples couldn't cast it out. Jesus said, oh, faithless generation, right? He rebukes them for this. But notice here in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 8, how he says this. You men of little why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? And excuse me, this is the time where they're arguing. Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they're in the boat and they realize, oh, you don't have any bread. He says, little thing, haven't you seen, as he goes on to say, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves that fed the five thousand? We didn't have food before, and I made food happen. Or the baskets, how many did you pick up that were full? Or ten. Or the seven loaves that fed the four thousand. How many baskets were picked up then? Multiple times you haven't had any bread, and you've had more than enough to spare because of me. But here's the real point, verse 11. How is it that you do not understand that I speak to you, that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? How do you not get that? How many times have I got to tell you? It's always like he's been telling this over and over. It's not about food. It's not about food. Man shall not live by bread alone. Well, yet you're so wrapped up because of your little faith. I'm talking spiritually here. I'm talking about their hypocrisy. So then in verse 12, then they understood that he did not say the word eleven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Don't you get it? Do you not understand? Or as he says in that night that he's betrayed in that final supper, go to John 14. Maybe the one that maybe is the hardest to really put ourselves in. Remember he says, I'm the way truth and the lie, right? No man comes to the Father but me. So the statement is there in verse 7. He said, if you known me, you would have known my Father. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And here's Philip chiming up, one of the twelve. He said, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said, have I been so long with you and yet you not This guy's been walking around with him for about three years. And he's been in the inner circle. And he's performed the miracles. And he's heard the teachings. And yet, he's not. He doesn't even know Jesus. And isn't that crazy? But how 
off into the heaven with us. We think we got this relationship. We think we're close. We think we're close. And then, man, I have no idea. Or I've got a completely different concept about who you are and what you are. Jesus said, how long have I been with you? We don't know. That's painful. That wasn't just, how dare you not? Those closest to me don't get all alone as he would be later in that evening because they would all scatter. But, as I said, once he's raised, they come to life. Their eyes are opened. They can't believe for joy. But he says to them after he explains the scriptures to them, right? He says, I want you to go to Jerusalem. And that gets us to our third and final point is that when they're in Jerusalem, what they get that nobody else got, that separated them from the rest, is they received the promise from the Father. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit. They weren't given the Holy Spirit only. They were, do, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want you to go there to Acts, the second chapter. How it didn't occur to me until I was driving here this evening to add this as part of the slide somewhere in. But the other thing that set them apart is that they were flat out witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus. They saw him after he was raised from the dead. They were eyewitnesses. That's, he didn't appear to everyone, right? He appeared to the twelve, group of five hundred, and a few others. But not everyone got to see him pre-death, and post-resurrection. But the apostles did. And they were always told that they were going to be there in, 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 uh, in Jerusalem. So verse 4 is they were in the house, and they heard that sound of the mighty rushing wind, that there appeared, verse 3, above them, fire distributing themselves as each one rested on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit was giving them utterances. The point of the baptism is that it just happened on them. Jesus didn't lay his hands on them and they got the Holy Spirit. No one laid their hands on them. It was, and they were immersed in the Holy Spirit. That only happens one other time. You know when that other time happens? It happens when the Gentiles receive the gospel. And Peter is there. He's in the house of Cornelius. And he's explaining to him why he's there. And while he's there explaining, all of a sudden the Spirit comes on them and they began speaking in tongues. And so Peter describes that in chapter 11 as he comes back to Jerusalem and tells the Jews that the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. He goes and he makes sure that they understand that verse 15, this is the same Holy Spirit that fell on us at the beginning. And he says, oh, I remember what it was, verse 16. I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That was the aha moment. We got that back then. But they received it as well. So what's the blessing about that? 
What's so special about being baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, it goes back to the Gospel of John in our last two passages. In John chapter 14, again, we are in that time of that final meal and that final evening. That they would be taught, verse 26, we're going to see verse 25 and verse 26 here. He said, these things I have spoken to you while abiding. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Remember the first thing we saw that they were doing? They were called to be with him. And we don't remember everything that people say around us. Some people have really good memories. Most of us do not. But the Holy Spirit was going to remind them of everything he ever said to them. Remember how we just saw that in Acts chapter 11? Then we remembered the word of the Lord that John baptized with water, but I will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Only because of that did they remember that. That wasn't their human understanding. That was the Spirit reminding them of every single thing he ever said. Now why is that important? Because Every single word that Jesus ever said was important. And it was something that maybe they would need to teach. And they would be reminded of that. Guess what? You and I don't have that. We have the Holy Spirit. We have been given the Holy Spirit. But we can't be reminded of the things Jesus said to us when we were with Him. Because guess what? We weren't walking with Him. We weren't there at the Sea of Galilee. But we have the apostles telling us what he said. We have their word in all of this. But then there was also going to be new things, right? Verse 26. He will teach you all things. And you would see that in chapter 15 as well in verse 13. That growth, that can't be chapter 15, but it'd have to be 16 and 13. It can't be 15, it'd have to be 16 and 13. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And that's the point. Is that they were going to be told everything that needed to be said. They would be reminded of everything that needed to be remembered. And guess who did not get that? Everybody else. And guess what? People recognized the difference. They dared not join them. They stayed away because they knew they were not those men. I say, what in the world does that have to do with us, right? But that's not you, that's not me. But I want you to notice this. What we have is we have to prove to be his disciples. They were chosen, you remember there in John chapter 15. They were chosen to bear fruit. I want you to notice back in verse 8 of that parable of I'm the vine and you're the branches. And again, he's talking directly to them, but I do not see this of us. He said, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I think the fact of the matter is, is when God calls us to obey him, He's expecting us to bear fruit. 
He expects us, as that fig tree is, to sprout. And if we don't, guess what he does? He chops it off. And what you do when you bear fruit is you prove yourself to be one of his followers. You don't prove yourself to be an apostle, but you prove yourself to be one who has been brought forth by him. And I don't know about you, but oftentimes we think about bearing fruit is I've got to bring other people to Christ. Yeah, that's, that is true, right? But John the Baptist said you need to bring fruits worthy of repentance. Every single person can do that. Every single person is not going to go out there and make a convert. Does that mean we're not supposed to try? Jesus saying you're not going to heaven unless you can't bring a Christian, unless you can't make a Christian out there. I don't think that's what he's saying. Those men were chosen with that. There was confidence. Now, do you think there should be some confidence for you and for me? Because what was going to make people disciples? The things that Jesus said. The Word of God was going to be able to get to them. The words of Jesus were going to be able to get to them. You go out and you show that that has borne fruit in your life. And if you do that, you'll prove it. Secondly, they were given extra attention. The extra teaching, and so therefore they received that extra criticism. And that reminds me of that parable in Luke 12. To whom much is given, much is required. And we have it all written for us, everything that we need. And we're expected to use it, and we're expected to believe it, and we're expected to know it, and we're expected to live. And it is there for us because of them. And then we have the secret things of Jesus. The things that were never said in the Gospels. And the Apostle Paul, who apparently wasn't even in the inner circle, right? But the Apostle said that thing in there in Acts chapter 20, verse 35. We know the words of our Lord, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. He wasn't there. But we know that the Lord said that somewhere. And you can imagine how many times he said that maybe when the widow with two mites came up. What more blessed to give than to receive. Whatever he said, we have it. All because of them. Because of what God and what Jesus shows We're not apostles, and we don't have apostles with that. But I tell you what, we've got our own work to do because we have a lot more because of their work. It's up to the invitation anyway this evening. We ask you to come back.